Broadcasting live from the goddess's womb, this is the Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Taya and I'm joined by my greedy children, Mila, Louisa, and Zayla. In this episode, we're continuing to explore Bollywood horror, but before we get into it, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or the Apple Podcast app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram at the Monstrous Feminine Podcast. This week, we are talking about the 2018 Hindi language film, Tumbad, directed by Anand Gandhi and Rahi Anil Bawe. In this film, a young boy named Vinayak becomes fascinated by his family's connection to an ancient mansion in the village of Tumbad, which is rumored to have hidden treasure somewhere inside. Vinayak's mother is the mistress to the man who lives in the mansion, and she also tends to the man's grandmother, a monstrous old woman who is still alive despite her corpse-like appearance. The woman mostly sleeps, especially when warned of the presence of a demon god called Hastar. It becomes apparent that the woman was once touched by the curse of Hastar during her pursuit of the mansion's hidden treasure, causing this monstrous transformation. Vinayak's mother moves them away from Tumbad after the accidental death of his brother, and she warns Vinayak never to return. Fifteen years later, Vinayak, now a grown man, returns to claim the inheritance he always greedily desired. Um, Miss, we were told to keep us in check. I think well, I talked hot shit on Santa and all of those threat-making creatures. Do we have an equivalent myth that warns against greed? I can't think of universal tales of, like, don't be greedy, but I feel like it was in a ton of children's books and, like, movies. Like, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is all about don't be greedy, uh, I think like the Lorax and things like that, like don't take too much from the earth. That's the same sort of thing that's going on here. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Every time I get sick or something and I stay in bed for a long period of time, I'd just be like sitting here looking like Charlie's grandparents in this bed. His grandparents really did sit in that bed. Well, it's particularly his granddad. He sat in that bed every day and did not get out the bed until his grandson said, I want a free trip to the Chocolate Factory and I need a guardian. And then he was like, I can find the strength to leave. I think he always had the strength. I think he was faking. He was an opportunist and I respect that. The Monstrous Feminine is on Twitter, so please go tweet us. If you do engage with our content, you might just get a shout out in our next episode as our Witch of the Week. This episode, our Witch of the Week is Mixtika, who quoted a tweet from an Apple podcast which asked, what podcast brought you the most joy this year? And then they added us and said, Las Mas. Well, thank you so much. We brought you the most joy this year. That's incredible. Maybe we're your only podcast, but I like to think that you listen to at least a dozen and we beat them all out. I think that's really sweet. I think that's so nice to think that somebody had joy from listening to us. I'm glad that we could bring others joy in a year where there was so little. Hope you have a great start to your 2022. Kisses. Besos. Friendly reminder that we're also on Patreon. For a pound a month, you can gain access to our Discord. And for three pounds a month, you get to hear a cut discussion from our main episodes. And for five pounds, you get all of that plus a bonus episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please support us. This movie was really scary to me. I was scared. I was scared. Who else was really scared? (laughs) I was really lost, so I did not feel fear. I thought this was the best monstrous womb theme film that i've ever seen and i wish we'd done it for that episode but i did not know it existed then but it's so delicious as a monstrous womb vibe
let's recap what Creed, Ms. Barbara Creed of the Monstrous Feminine, says about wombs. She says that they're abject. I mean, I am paraphrasing here. Like, honestly, I've recapped this several times. So if you don't know by now, please go read The Monstrous Feminine. Basically, she says the womb is an abject place. It's a place of life's creation. Um, It's seen as like mysterious to men or people who don't have wombs. It's the origin of life, but also kind of death because things pass that threshold from object to subject within the womb. So it's abject and strange and mystical. And hence it has often monstrous portrayals. And also the archaic mother, that monstrous figure threatens to reincorporate you by getting you back in the womb. So you can never Which be literally happens in this film. Mm-hmm. They're willingly. They're just like going into it. I mean, the guy who was reincorporated was not. Oh, you mean when he was literally sewn into the fabric of her uterus? Yeah. Let's say the myth. There was some significant folklore in the beginning of this film, which I thought was interesting. Wikipedia summarized it as follows. In 1947, Vinayak tells his 14-year-old son about the goddess of prosperity. She is a symbol of unlimited gold, meaning wealth, and grains, meaning food, and her earth is the womb. When the universe was created, she gave birth to 160 million gods. Hastar, her first and most beloved offspring, was greedy for all her gold and food. Hastar managed to acquire the gold from the goddess, but the other gods attacked him just as he was about to acquire her food. But the goddess saved him on one condition, that he could never be worshipped and would be forgotten by history. For years, Hastar has been slumbering inside his mother's womb. However, the residents of Tumbad, where Hastar has been trapped in his mother's womb, defy this ancient taboo and build a temple dedicated to him, earning the ear of the gods who curse the village, causing non-stop rain to downpour on it. This is a really interesting myth. It's made up and the reason it works is because they say like the taboo is that we just don't talk about this guy. Don't say his name. Don't worship him. He never existed. So they've created sort of like this offshoot mythology. Tumbaga is a real place, which sucks because it, it isn't a bad spot. This director went there and hated it. He was like, you know what is cursed? He went during monsoon season and he was like, it's gotta be cursed. It didn't stop raining the whole time I was there. You said there's lots of yonic imagery in Hindu mythology. Is that also why this all like centered around the womb? Yeah, it is rewriting a creation myth, which I which is like a big rewriting, and it's making it a woman's creation myth, which is super fun and interesting to me. And it's also much like Mother Exclamation Point, making the womb and the earth synonymous. So like everything comes from the womb, including food. Humans or children of the gods are liable to like almost be parasitic off of the womb, which is not typically how we see it in the monstrous womb. Like the womb is scary because you can be reincorporated by it. But in this, it's like scary because you can take so much from it that you like get fucked up. But that's low-key how pregnancy is. They suck the calcium right out of your bones. I want to ask about that because we're going to have to suspend the fact that the grandma also goes in the womb for this one. However, we don't see that. So I feel like the point will still stand. But I thought it was interesting that um, the idea of going into the womb becomes like a sort of male endeavor and that Vinayak and his son decide to make it like a male thing. Like when the son comes back and his mom asks like, oh, so so what was in there? Like, what what was it? He's like, that's between father and me and you you just focus on household chores. I just think that was interesting because to make it seem like a male thing and it's like 
men kind of going in to penetrate the womb, you know, and they rob her. And it just seemed like, as is often common with like anything that involves like the land, it's often aligned with like a woman's body. So like rape and rape of the land are very closely related across culture in general, like that metaphor and that alignment. So it kind of seems to be a bit like a rape scenario in this, metaphorically speaking, um, not literally. In the fact that they just go in, it's a gendered enterprise and they rob her and they're invading the womb. They're invading the body. They have no business being in there. They're not welcome and it's dangerous and they could die. So Yeah. I thought that was interesting. I know you prefaced that being like, we're going to take the grandmother's pursuit of the gold aside. But I don't know. It seems like it's quite relevant. I think it is. But she doesn't even go. But she doesn't really go in. We don't see her do it. She becomes a castrating mother figure. She keeps them there because she needs to be fed. Right? Like they would have left this cursed land long ago. Did she, like she wasn't locked in the basement needing to be fed until she died and she wasn't dying. Like it was the obligation of, I guess, the wife or the mother at that time to go down there and make sure that she's like constantly fed. And that to me was castrating because their freedom was impeded upon. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Like she didn't succeed in doing it. And then she became this like toothy, abject corpse who was basically an extension. She's basically an extension of the monstrous womb. She looked like um, the end of Suspiria. Yeah. Like a melted granny. You know, sometimes in horror movies, like seeing the thing makes it like lame, you know? This was not lame. It was scary to see it. And the sounds also, like the score as well, but in all three of the Bollywood movies, like the whispering and the, like the people's like voices when they're, it sounds like they're drowning in their own blood, like, or phlegm or something all the time. And I, I found that very visceral. The aspect of greed and everything really reminds me of the movie The Room that we did earlier. And when you think about it, the husband in the movie only went into the room until the situation began to get like dire and he had to tell his wife about it. That movie and this movie are uncomfortably similar. The house being like abandoned and them not knowing like where the stuff is coming from. The fact that he was like pretty much pillaging the room for like days before he even said anything about it. And then like the only thing that she wanted from the room was a child, but he wanted like money and riches and gold and all this stuff. So like the parallel between like the greed and also like the male entry of the womb definitely feels like very similar. I wonder if the people at Shudder realize like how similar these two movies were. They should put them in like a double feature. I thought that too when I was watching it. It gave me the room vibe just because like it's a source of like unlimited wealth. I guess the difference is they can take that wealth into the real world. And the time period of this movie, it being in 1947, is so, so, so important. That is the year of Indian independence. Like everything was getting partitioned and shifted and ownership of land especially was like the hot topic. It was like how borders were getting divided, how states were getting divided, what power and what land was being seized by the government after it was like being taken away from the British. That this takes place in three acts, that it's sort of like colonial period when he's a child, independence period, like exactly, exactly when India gains independence in the sort of middle ground. And then he realizes, oh shit, Tumbad is about to get seized by the Indian government, even though he had good relationships with all the landlords and all the people who were, you know, in power over there. He didn't have to be living on that land to be the owner of it. It was his inheritance that he owned. All of a sudden, all this land was now the property of the government. And like, what does that mean for people's private interests? And like, especially 
in this time, like India was going through a period of like, are we going to be socialists? Like genuinely, they were they were trying to figure out like, okay, now we have all of this back. It's government owned everything. We could continue going about this way and no longer have private landowners and landlords and things like that. Like people who are just going to take the place of the Raj, take the place of the British in, in oppressing people. Like it was very much a conscious effort to not allow that to happen. It happened, whatever. Capitalism's capitalism and like they exist in a world like separate from their own. But like that scene was really illuminating to me because it was like all about the greed of post-colonial India and people doing these like frantic land grabs about like what can what can I still own? What can I still take? What can still be mine alone and not have to do with like this new nation state? And he almost wasn't paying attention to, to like the changes going on around him. He's like, oh, I just thought I've always had this land. It's always been mine. I'll have it forever at no point. Cause that's, that's like the point of land ownership is it's like, it's endless. You, you can grow crops on it. You can do whatever you want with it. You can rent out properties. It is this like endless source of passive income that he took for granted. That's true of any landowner. So then when that came into question and he panicked and they made this like desperate plan of like, okay, we're gonna make all these dough babies and we're just gonna grab the loincloth and get all the wealth that we can at once. That is how a land grab happens in a place that's in flux, in a place that's newly independent. It's just like people who had the littlest bit of power just below the British are all of a sudden like, take everything you can get, fuck anybody who gets in your way. And that was pretty poignant to me, that scene, like his shock at like the changes going on, especially since he'd been like relatively apolitical up until that point and people around him were actively either working towards independence or working with the British and stood something to gain from cooperation. The wife, I think it's said that she's working for the freedom fighters, but then the husband, he seems to be more relaxed. He said something, an offhanded comment like, oh, the British government aren't that bad. Like he seems to have, like you said, quite an apolitical view of what's going on. Well, he's working with that opium guy who like wants to just like rise in the ranks yeah i think he was apolitical because he was wealthy and like wasn't like under the thumb of the british in the way that poor people are but his, his wife being like in line with the freedom fighters is really really important because she when he went away and she didn't know where he was and she started um milling her own flour that is like something that was like very typical of that time to show that they don't need the british to produce their own goods we can produce our own food produce our own clothing like that was a big movement especially amongst women and gandhi was really about like women's work should be everybody's work because that is how we take back the the means of production from the british oh yeah they had a line about gandhi didn't they where it was like oh it's ever since gandhi it's all about women's empowerment they got these ideas in their head yeah and like women were very much like at the forefront of those things because they already knew they already had those skills and could teach those skills to other people and all of a sudden like independent india became like a possibility but like the opium guy he just like stood something to gain I didn't really think about the post-colonialism like land grab, but I think that's interesting. I'm glad you provided that context. But I was just kind of going generally with the idea of colonialism and again, rape of the land and greed and like aligning that with like the womb, like in general. Yeah, and that but that rape of the land can happen. Like, I think they were also arguing that like Indians also took too much from the land which i hadn't really considered but actually that makes that makes a lot of sense because i was only thinking of like basically the first half which was like oh makes sense that there would be like this metaphor of like pillaging you know a woman's body as you pillage land or something like that yeah i think without that like post-colonial context like the parable being anti-greed i don't think it like gives the film as much credit as it's due 
This is a really good job of, I think, utilizing the location and time period for horror because this is like a very specific story that tells like a universal feeling of like greed and taking too much for the earth. Yeah, but it was about women without like the protagonist being a woman, which I was like, how'd y'all do that? It's so clearly to me like a morality tale, you know, like I read one review, which obviously wrong religion context, but it said it feels biblical. And I kind of understood what they meant in the sense that it is like a fable that you tell to people to keep them in check in relation to like a certain like sin. This one being obviously greed. I thought that was just interesting, that like parable feel to it. Basically, my point is that it wasn't done in a way that was cheesy. I think like when you do like a strong morality tale, one that feels very folklore, legend, it can be like corny, but this was like genuinely frightening. So not the last line, but close to the last line is the father holding out the loincloth and being like, isn't this what you wanted? Didn't you want this? And that to me, like with everything considered, felt like saying to like future generations, like, didn't you want to be able to make use of this land, what was promised to you? Like, isn't that the point of freedom fighting? Isn't that the point of like generational wealth? Like he got this from his grandmother. It was meant to be his, it's meant to be his sons, which is a very Western and British way of thinking about like even inheritance and generational wealth and old money and things like that. Like, don't you want to be able to have, like he wants to give it to his son. He would die to give it to his son, even if he doesn't get to use it. And so that, that led me on one train of thought, but then also the way that the son, like we talked about how he spoke to his mother, like this is man's business and he sort of disrespects her. And then also the mistress, I mean, he like brings the gold coin to the mistress and he's like, it'll be me someday, I'll marry you and I'll be in charge of you. There was something about like the passing on of those toxic traits, like there was the passing on of wealth, but there was also like the passing on of like power and like sexual power to the son. Also, like, what does that have to do with then, like, womb, fertility, the dough babies? Like, the, somehow those felt connected in my mind of, like, future generations is about, like, the fertility of not just the body, but of the land, of your wealth. Like, do you have fertile ground to raise future generations in? But this ground is cursed also. Like, it rains and rains and rains, but you can't really, like, do anything with it or do anything there. And that's sort of like how the gold was treated in the end. The son was like, I don't want this. This is useless to me now. Like you fucked everything up. There's something going on there, but I couldn't piece it together. So I wondered if y'all saw any connections between those things. Two separate questions. My mind is boggling. I think in terms of the misogyny and that being passed down through greed, I just think that's kind of showing how, say, privatization of land or capitalism and greed private property anything associated with land inherently lends itself to other structures of power as well so i think that's more just showing like that intersection perhaps i think like the passing down of misogyny kind of goes with like the way that back in the day women were like considered their husband's property as a result of that your children also were considered your husband's property and not your own and they like took his last name spent more time with the husband's family and like the wife's family and identity were pretty much erased from the children so like if his parents treated him like the king of the world then they would treat your son like the king of the world and he would have the exact same misogynist trait you're totally right like if you give them the power to inherit wealth then why wouldn't he have like such an inflated ego Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast, and on Twitter at The Mon Femme Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and follow us on TikTok at The Monstrous Feminine Pod. Brooms up, which is out.